0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org.
1: I want to welcome you all to the Vine Church, whether it's your first time or 101st time or whatever it might be, welcome here. Uh, My name is James. I'm an elder here and a part of the preaching team. And I want to take care of a few housekeeping things before we begin our sermon on 1st John. So if you want to turn, open up your Bibles or turn them on to 1st John chapter 2, we're going to be starting in verse 28, and we're going to be going through uh, chapter 3, verse 3. For those of you that are attentive, first detail is that if you have one of these little assurance of eternal life note-taking guides, you might notice that we changed the verse numbers. And I'm sorry to those of you that that's going to cause a problem. I might recommend you scratch off the verse numbers up at the top on page, I don't know, 14 or 16, wherever we're at. Uh, Yeah, so I would recommend maybe scratching those out. A couple other things to note. You saw the Q&A QR code that was on the screen a few seconds ago. Uh, We are not going to have time to do the Q&A in in front of the church today, mainly because I'm totally going to put my foot in my mouth and say something really silly if we do. But also, as an encouragement, we, we include the questions that you submit in part of the city group discussion guides. So we encourage you to have those discussions in group. And then, hey, a challenge to the city group leaders, maybe share some of those questions on the Slack channel before you have the meeting this week. That might be a good way to start thinking about some of those questions. Uh, and then finally, I just wanted to give attribution where it's due. I am just a normal dude. I listen to plenty of sermons about these texts. I'm a, technically a lay elder. Um, I don't know if we would call it normal dude. I'm not a paid pastor, and so I want to make sure y'all, y'all listen to Tim Keller's 1995 sermon on the beginning of 1 John 3. I picked up a few things from him, um, and I just want to make sure I thank him wherever he is. Um, Tim Keller's not here, is he? Okay, good. All right, well, a little bit about me and something that's important to me. Uh, there's an important place called Fusion Brew. Maybe any Fusion Brew. Okay, we've got some Fusion Brew fans. Fusion Brew is a place that uh, is in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, and it's been important to me since about the year 2006, 2005, 2006, and uh, it's a cafe, and what, the, what they're most famous for is their bubble tea. And I can recall, in like 2006, the first time I ever had. Bubble tea—I ever beheld this thing. And for those of you who've never had it before, it's like this slushy or tea drink with these tapioca pearls at the bottom. And it changed me. I became enamored with it. Uh, it was this thing that was completely new to me, like, you know, from a—it was—it was foreign to me, a novel experience. And I thought, what is this? Where is this from? And you know, looking into it, it changed the way that uh, Jackie, who actually worked at Fusion Brew, uh, at that time, we would go to new cities and look up where's the bubble tea shop in this town. We even dreamt of opening up our own shop. And this may seem like a really big stretch for a sermon illustration, but it is. But, the, but we, we encountered something that was kind of new to us and novel to us, a little bit foreign to us, and it changed us a little bit. And that's where the analogy kind of stops. We're going to encounter something like this in our scripture today as we begin um, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. I'm going to invite Caroline to come up and read the scripture and Ezra to come up and read the scripture and pray for us today.
0: And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word that you have for us this morning. I pray that you would be with us in this room as we delve into this um, passage. And I pray that you would use James to speak to us. I pray that that you would help us learn um, more about your word this morning. And in your name we pray, amen.
1: Thank you, Caroline and Ezra. Um, it's apparent to me, as we look at the scripture, that each one of these verses could probably be its own sermon series, not just its own sermon. We have a lot of, uh, we only have five verses, but there's a lot of theology, deep, rich content here. Um, so in, in an effort to make things clear, uh, there's many things we could take out of this. One thing I want to emphasize for us today, the kind of the main point, for those of you that like to write down the main point, is that this scripture wants us to behold God's love. It's like we sang saying today, behold our God. We, are, we want us to behold God's love and for us to live according to our new family resemblance. We are to behold God's love and to live according to our new family resemblance. This is a, a theme throughout the book of First John, that there's a truth and an acting out of that truth. And if you're just joining us, maybe it's your first week in, in the series, it's going to maybe feel like you're dropping in on a, an ongoing conversation. That's kind of true. True. First John is a letter that John wrote to the early church, and there's lots of theories about why he's writing this. One of the prevailing ideas is that in the early church, it had been divided by people who were claiming that they had their own perfection apart from Christ. There were people who claimed that through like self-reflection and introspection, they could produce their own holiness, that um, maybe it was through a pagan or a mystical experience, that's how you could become a child of God, or... Uh, these were people that claimed there were many paths to God, that the moral laws were outdated. I don't know if that sounds like New Agey, but that's two thousand years old idea, right? Sounds familiar to, to the kind of the culture which we live in. Um, last week James taught about these these folks, and, and where we're picking up in this letter is James taught to the last week about these people being called antichrists, and you can listen to that sermon for more content on that, uh, but. The the point is, John is picking up here with an encouragement to this early church. This church is stricken and divided, and he's speaking to give a word of encouragement to this church. So let's dive in, and we'll look verse by verse, and then we'll uh, we'll apply this to our lives. We'll begin with verse 28. You can uh, open up your Bible to there if you're not already, and it says, and now little children abide in him. Abide in him. That's our first sort of command from the scripture today. And abide is a bit of a churchy word, right? What does it mean, abide? Um, Abide, last week James taught about it being about remaining, having endurance and remaining. Uh, Jesus himself speaks to what abiding means in John chapter, uh, John 15, the gospel of John 15, chapter 15, verse 4, he says, abide in me. Just like it says here, abide in him. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. What, what does that mean, though? <laughs> Abide. Uh, well, Jesus explains it, and this is actually the derivation of the name of our church. Our name of our church is the vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. I am the vine, and you are the branches. So it's a botanical way of thinking about what does abiding mean, right? What does abiding mean? It, it kind of means being of the same nature, of the same species, that we could be connected to this vine, our source, and, Let me be clear, I'm talking about Jesus the vine, not glorifying and exalting our church above our Lord and Savior Jesus. We are to be connected to Jesus the vine. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So Jesus, when he continues on, he's saying that abiding has a a production, an outcome that happens because you're connected to this vine, that you're going to bear much fruit. And he goes on the, the, the counterpart, For apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding in him, as we see here, and now little children abide in him. There's something going on where we are to be kind of cut from the same cloth of the same species in our very nature. Something has to change for us to be connected to Jesus. Because we're connected to him, because we're connected to the vine, we can bear fruit. And bearing fruit here, if you you look at it here, abiding in him, we're going to be bearing fruit. That's supposed to give us confidence so that when he appears, we have confidence. And there's a lot more we could say about the, the confidence and not shrinking from him. We're going to keep moving forward to verse 29. In verse 29, it says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. This is going to be a risky topic. There's something called the indicative and the imperative. I just talked about it with a couple of guys this week, indicative and the imperative. Um, in, in my understanding of it is that as from a theological perspective, there is an indicative, an identity, an, an indicator that it, if you are abiding in Christ, then the imperative or the action that flows out of that indicative and the imperative is that we will produce or bear fruit or that we will be practicing righteousness. And this is throughout the book of 1 John. If you've been following along for the last few months, you know that there is a, a faith, a hope in him an abiding in Christ, and then that produces an outcome. This is a theme that comes out time and time again. But I want to be very clear that practicing righteousness, this is not the way to, to which we get salvation. I, I, I hope that's clear, that, that we're not a, a legalistic you know, we don't base our faith in our ability to produce our own righteousness. And that's why I think John is speaking this to that early church. And said John Stott, he says, A person's righteousness is thus the evidence of his new birth, not the cause or condition of it. So any any righteousness that we produce would be because of our abiding in Christ. Because we're attached to the vine, we can bear Fruit, because we're attached to Jesus the vine, that's why we're bearing fruit. And this is meant to be an encouragement to the early church, right? This is meant to be, uh, for them, John is saying, hey, if you're producing this righteousness, this means you're abiding in Christ. And that's my encouragement to the, the, the divine church here. I do see this. We, we, as elders, we see this in our church body, that there is practicing righteousness among us. This is, this is a, a good word for us to hear today that in a test of our abiding in Christ, we can be sure, we can have assurance. And of course, there is a counterpart to this. There is a counterpart with the dead faith, with no producing of righteousness, and we have to question, we have to do some self-examination of, our, our, am I linked to Christ the vine? But it's not about trying hard. As we see here, it says, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him being born of him is not about trying hard. It's about being adopted into this family. This is the first time that John is mentioned in the letter uh, of 1 John about being born of him, about rebirth, and it's going to come up time and time again. So buckle up for for many future months of talking about rebirth. And it's a strange concept. I'm just going to be honest. I don't fully get rebirth, being reborn, this born-again thing. And it was strange 2,000 years ago. Jesus talks about it with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, Chapter 3. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born again? I have the same questions. I have the same questions. How can that happen? Um, And one thing that's been helpful for me upon reflection has been uh, thinking about the times in which I get to volunteer back in NextGen or with the youth group. There is uh, a joy I have in getting to serve with those kids and noticing the family resemblance, noticing the family resemblance, any of you see that when the kids are running around after service, you know, oh, I know whose kid that is. And it's not just appearance, right? Like, of course, we can tell, like, oh, yeah, I know who that, that kid belongs to, but it's also the mannerisms and the actions, right? It's it's sort, You can tell this family goes together. They have inside jokes, you, and this is true of you. In your family, there are ways in which you resemble one another, not just in appearance, but in, in the ways in which you act. And so... Being born of Him, I, I, I helps me to think about this as bearing a family resemblance to, to God, bearing a family resemblance to, to Jesus. We care about the things He cares about. So to kind of take a step back and look at the end of chapter two, we should be abiding in Christ, and we are going to when we do that, it's going to cause us to practice righteousness, to live righteously, and that's because of our family resemblance, our being reborn of Him. And John himself is going to emphasize this and amplify it, I think, to the next level up in chapter 3, verse 1. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. This is where it's really helpful if you have the Bible app to kind of switch um, translations. And it's really helpful to read other translations uh, you know, to to see what is this all about. Other translations will say, instead of see, behold, behold, an exclamation point, uh, sometimes at the end of the sentence. Uh, this is, I don't know if this is allowed, but I, I kind of cobbled together some different translations that put together a different translation that say, behold, what kind of love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. So see what kind of love. Behold, this kind of love. This is an exclamation, an emotional outburst that John is having. He's reflected on it and said, you can be sure that anybody who practices righteousness has been born of him. Oh man, he's getting shivers. Like behold, look at this kind of love that the Father has given to us. Behold. And it says what kind of love. The the Greek colloquialism, a little turn of phrase that they had for what kind of. Uh, it literally means from what country is this love? Behold, what from what country is this love? Which is, I think, really helpful. Where does what is this bubble tea from? That's kind of the connection there. If I, I'm stretching myself again, but where is this from? What is this? This is unique to to us because the love that that the Father has given us is different. It's not because we're lovely. It's actually in spite of our unloveliness. We can't earn this love. It's just given to us. God has come to us in the form of Jesus. He's come to the world. What is this from? What country is this from? What what is this love? Behold. You can't earn the love through action and practicing righteousness, You can't logic your way into the love like, okay, I've proven God through uh, such and such theorem, and then therefore I'm Christian. Beholding God's love is something that changes you. This is a new identity. This is a new identity. Not new information, but a new identity for you. That's what John is reflecting on. And I love this word "lavished" here. It says that we that it is given to us. Uh, other translations will say "bestowed" or "lavished." And I'll confess that I'm I overspend on gift giving when it comes to the holidays. We'll we'll agree, like Jack and I might agree, twenty dollars. That's it. I I usually I usually go over that. I love lavishing gifts. I just I love to do that. And that's what the Father has done for us. This love has come to us. And the reason why we have this outburst at all is he's saying, behold this, that we should be called children of God and we are. We are children of God. We are adopted and there's a a heavenly rebirth, a a new birthday, the day you decide that this is the, the, the Christ in which you believe is the resurrection and the life. And this should, I think, utterly shock us. I don't know if... If you've been reading the Bible through the year, you're probably getting into the New Testament part of it and into the letters and the epistles. Uh, But earlier in the year, if you were reading the Old Testament, you know how many laws there are. And and the, the degree of separation required to be near the Father, to be near the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. This is shocking that we could be called children of God and we are. In John one, verse twelve, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is fulfillment of scripture that Jesus is our forerunner, right? He is he is come to earth, he's lavished this love on us, and we are receiving the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, we are reborn. We could be called children of God. This is amazing news that we should behold today. Behold, church. Behold that God lo- has lavished this love on us that we should be called children of God, and we are. We can go back to, to the full verse, verse one. Um, the, the end of verse one addresses the, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And this is a callback to a couple weeks ago. Zach did a sermon about the world and go up in. 1 John 2, you can see, do not love the world. So I'm not going to rehash all of that, but what Zach mentioned was uh, the reason why the world does not know us, the world meaning the comforts of the world, sex, food, comfort, pride, success, you name it. But what this end of this verse is getting at, as we behold God's love, we'll see that we appear as different from the world. We appear as different from the world. And this is a challenge. This is a real challenge for us because I kind of like being Midwest nice. I'm sure a lot of you do too. That's a, it's it's an easy path to follow living in Madison just kind of leave people be, be Midwest nice, not be awkward and talk about your faith. That's not the challenges here. The challenge to us is the reason why the world does not know us is that it doesn't know him. And we'll talk about this when we get to application. But it's going to be about, yes, being kind, but also being earnest and authentic and real and weeping with people who weep, thirsting for righteousness and justice. It's having hope when things go bad. So we're to appear different than the world. But if the world doesn't know him, if the world doesn't know Christ, what are we to do? What are we to do? John addresses what we're to do in uh, chapter 3, verse 2. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. So this is the now but the not yet that we sometimes talk about at church, that there's a, there's a now and a not yet. We're living in this interim period. There's, a, there's something that's, that exists at this moment, but there's something to come. And what's being addressed here, it says, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him, we'll see him as he is. And this is hugely rich. As I mentioned before, this could probably be its own sermon series about what we will be. I'm not here to speculate about that. I'm I'm here to look at what this would have meant to the early church. What would it have meant for John to, to write to the early church and say, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. This must have been a massive encouragement and assurance to an early church that was persecuted. Think about living as a first century Christian and executions were the norm for Christians, being fed to lions. Like that's real stuff that happened. How encouraging is this to them? And it's meant to be encouraging to us. I don't live as a first century Christian, and none of you do either. Well, what this is supposed to be is encouraging to us. And, and one way in which it's encouraging to me is to think about what is to come, is unfathomable. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So there is some unknown future. There's some future vision of what we don't even know. No eye can fathom. No mind can conceive what is to come. That's supposed to be our encouragement for us. So we have a hope. We have a hope of a future day. We have a hope of what we will be, and we have a hope of when he returns. And that hope, if we go to verse 3 now, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Again, shocking words, purity. Purity. Here, if you think about the the broader picture of the Bible, how many laws are there about purity and what it means to be pure? This should be shocking to us that there is a possibility of purity, and it's based in hope. Our hope and in our abiding in Christ, in the one who is pure. What this helps me to see is I'm looking at this, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself. That the Old Testament laws about purity, as confusing as they are, when I'm reading them and encountering them, they point to something that's fulfilled in the hope in Jesus. It's not about the, the purity, it's about the what it points to, this hope in him. But John's challenge to us is clear that there is a there's a hope in him, and there is an outcome of that, right? Bearing fruit. There is a striving that we should have in our new identity to live purely until the magnificent hour when He returns. So I hope it's helpful to just look through the scripture at this point and kind of try to get an understanding of what's in there, that we are to behold God's amazing love for us, live out our family resemblance. But what does this mean for you sitting in the room? What does this mean for you today? Um, Application wise, Where do we land? Um, Well, I've come up with a few application points that are on the screen. I hope the note-taking people really like the little outline. Um, I want us to go through a few things today. I want us to, first of all, hear the gospel. I want us to hear the gospel. And I want us to respond. After we've heard the gospel, there's a response. The response is that we're going to behold God's love. When we behold God's love, we have our new identity. It's going to cause us to live differently. We're going to live like the world should know him, and we're going to live out our family resemblance. It was really helpful for me. Um, like I said, in preparation, I listened to a bunch of, I read a bunch of commentaries, listened to a bunch of sermons, and someone put it this way: that First uh, John is a lot of times considering, uh, considering, how do you know you're a Christian? Oftentimes it's the question being answered by the scripture rather than how do I become a Christian? Um, not that those two things are like mutually exclusive. We have this how do I become a Christian and how do I know I'm a Christian? Those are two questions that are being answered. Um, I want to tackle the one where how, how do I become a Christian? If we look at the Gospel of John, chapter 11, Jesus speaking to Martha, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Pretty direct question. This is the question Jesus is, is asking all of us in this room. The this, this scripture speaks to us today. Do you believe this, that he is the resurrection and the life? Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. This is the assurance of eternal life, which is why the guide has that printed on the very cover. That's the title of our sermon series. Whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live, will have this assurance of eternal life. This is amazing news for us. This is amazing gospel news that we can believe in the resurrection of life. That's in whom we are abiding, Back to verse 28, it said, abide in him. Who are we abiding in? I am the resurrection and the life. That's Jesus. That's the one in whom we abide. Do you believe this? And it's not just this, this belief as, as, a, as a head knowledge. It, it shapes us. It transforms us. In, in John, 1 John 2, you can just go up to the beginning of chapter 2. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, Brian put it so well when we were talking about confession today that each one of us has sinned. So what does that mean? If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You see, we have someone standing in the gap for us. He is the propitiation or the payment for our sins and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. This is the gospel message we need to hear. This is the salvation offered to each one of you. Do you believe this? do you believe this? We need to hear this gospel week after week. And for for some of you, maybe this is the first time you've heard this message, this free gift of salvation that's offered to you. And November 13th, 2022 is your birthday, your rebirth day, right? This new identity you have and your new family resemblance. And hallelujah, if that's true to you today. I, I want to celebrate with you. Come and chat with me after service. We have baptism next week. You could be baptized. We want to celebrate with this with you. See, salvation, as we look at this, is the Bible talks pretty holistically about it, that it's not a box you tick. It's about a new identity that we have. And John is giving us instruction in this, that we are to behold God's love. So that's, that's our second application. After we've heard this gospel message, how, how do we behold God's love? See, for many of you, I know you, and this is not new information to you. This is old information. Yes, I know, but I want you to receive it anew. I want you to receive old information anew today. I want you to behold God's God's love. I want you to behold God's love. Perhaps it's hard for you to behold because perhaps you're a paycheck Christian. Someone who, here's what I mean. Do you, how many of us get our paycheck and say, behold, that I should be called an employee of Navitus. The love that's lavished on me. Of course not. Of course not. I mean, maybe you do. (laughs) Please come chat with me. (laughs) <laughs> I don't live that way. Do we, do we feel that we are kind of owed our righteousness because of our deeds? Are you showing up week after week, or are you truly beholding? I think all of us who would consider ourselves Christians should take a step back and consider how miraculous it is that we're here at all that we're in a church right now. I consider it miraculous that I have, like I'm somehow being allowed to preach and, and, and I encounter God's word and this has been something I've been able to reflect on for weeks of preparation. This is miraculous that I could even be considered part of his family. Called a child of God and I am? Behold, my Church, this is for you. This is not just head knowledge. It, it moves to something deeper where it overflows. When you behold God's love, it changes who you are It informs every part of your daily life. God loves all of his creation. But to be a Christian means God has crossed a line to come to you. He's come to you, and he's bringing his love to you to change you forever. You have a new identity. If you're living that paycheck Christian mentality, you're living moralistically, You're living legalistically. You're trying to put God in your debt. Behold his love that you're even here at all. Amen? That you're a child of God. It's a miracle. So now that we've heard the gospel, we're beholding God's love, how do we live? Well, let's look at the end of verse 1 in chapter 3. It says, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. I just have a couple of quick things to say. Notice that the verse doesn't say the reason why the world doesn't know us is that we were absent from the world. The implication being that we need to be in the world, not of the world. We just heard that sermon a couple of weeks ago. Do not love the world. The implication to me, as I reflect on this, the reason why the world does not know us is it doesn't know him. We resemble our new family. It also doesn't say the reason why the world doesn't know him is that it doesn't know us. The implication is that we need to live our lives so that others can know him. You're part of this family, for better or worse. And I know for, for a lot of us, uh, perhaps living out this family resemblance as we think about sort of landing the planet plane and, and where are we going to, where do the boots hit the ground with this? How do we live out our family resemblance? I want us to think in, in humility, how many of us are kind of embarrassed of our families? I mean, I, I'm biologically families, it's easy to think about, like, oh gosh, dad, another joke. <sighs> Mom brought that dessert again to Thanksgiving. We can be humiliated by be of our, of our earthly families, but oftentimes, I'll confess, I'm embarrassed of my heavenly family. It makes me awkward. I like people. I like them to like me. We are to live out our family resemblance. When we are children of God, we begin to resemble our new family. And I want us to behold that we are children of God, and this is going to... Cause us to live differently, not out of religiosity, see, not out of, not of, out of creating our own righteousness, but because of our wonder, because of our beholding God's love for us. If we want to experience the assurance of eternal life, we have to understand our adoption. And I don't know what's standing in the way of you living out your family resemblance. It's going to take some self-reflection on your part. What is it that prevents you from living this way? I've I've called out here uh, as we look at our verses uh, the things that speak to us being uh, in our new family, abiding in him. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See the kind of love that we should be called children of God. We are God's children now. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself. How do we do this? What's standing in the way? Is it what I just mentioned about people-pleasing, wanting people to like you, loving the world too much. Is it malaise and apathy? That's an easy one these days, just to be lazy. And, you know, I I don't have an assurance of eternal life. I do have the assurance of my Sunday life. Is that standing in the way? Is it distraction, forgetfulness? You're just distracted with your career, distracted with... The news of the day. I think a lot, of, a lot of us probably end up being in just patterns of sin and it causes us to maybe shy away from God, that we, we kind of don't want him to cross the line and come to us. We kind of don't want him to lavish his love on us because we feel ashamed. Divine family, you are, if you trust in him, if you believe in him, you are a child of God today. You are children of God now. Let him come to you. So if you're in a pattern of sin with worshiping money, worshiping pornography, worshiping your privacy, worshiping success, what are you worshiping? I can't answer that for you. But I do know that everyone who hopes in him purifies himself. We have a new identity. So Vine Church, I want you to behold God's love for you today. Behold the love that the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And we're going to live out our new family resemblance because of this. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you you for the truth. I thank you for the truth of the gospel, that you are the resurrection and the life, that you are the vine, and we are just branches. We cannot create our own fruit, that you bear fruit through us that this is a mystery that we can even be grafted in, that we could be miraculously called children of God, and we are. Let us wonder in that today, Lord. Let us believe. Help our unbelief that we believe in you, and we hope in you, and we abide in you, and that's going to cause us to practice righteousness, to be children of God by bearing fruit. Lord, help us to live our family resemblance. May we have confidence May we not shrink away from you. And may we hope in your future coming. Lord Jesus, be our salvation. Be our king. It's in your name we pray. Amen.